And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you in our listening or viewing audience on Facebook Live. Uh, you are in touch with the Bat Around on this Saturday, February the 9th, 2019. Stan the Fan. I'm lucky enough, fortunate enough to have my friend Craig Heist in here uh, for one week before he takes a three-week leave of absence. Yeah, we're doing the Mass and uh, Nats talk show at uh, 10 to 12 uh on Saturday mornings because of Phil Wood doing his uh teaching, teaching. down at Austin P. Yes. Yep. yep. So uh we're we're doing that and Phil's doing well and uh He's feeling good. Yeah, we he uh, came back home uh, this week cuz we did the show last week. Okay. Uh he was uh emceeing a baseball banquet down at George Mason University okay. last night. Uh, so that enabled him to be able to stay and do the show, and then he'll head back down to Austin P. Okay, uh, and be after, there for yeah, the be month. there for the re- remainder of the month. Yeah. All right, that's good. Good to hear. Um, we've got uh, this week's show. Uh, of course, is affected by uh, the loss of the great Frank Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um, we will start off with Todd Karpovich, who was our baseball beat writer for Press Box. We will then be Trying to hook up with my friend Jim Henneman, our friend Jim Henneman. We may have botched that, and that's my fault as usual. But at 11.05, the new skipper of the Norfolk Tides, Gary Kendall, Mm -hmm. is going to join us. And then an old friend of mine and somebody you know pretty well, um, the former Orioles uh, director of research and statistics, from back in the late 80s, early 90s, Eddie Epstein, yeah. who has a unique uh, vantage point. He watched and worked with Frank in the front office of the Baltimore Orioles before he uh, ended up uh, in the commissioner's office or the league office for a while, then came back to manage Montreal and the, um, Montreal and the Washington Nationals. Uh, before really doing a lot of work with Major League Baseball until the last year or so when his health uh, began to deteriorate. But Eddie Epstein will will join us. And then somebody who got to know Frank in his managerial stint in Montreal rather well um, is Bill Latson. And in the first two years with the and Nationals, in the first yeah, because two years Bill came down to cover the club. From uh, Montreal, he was up there a couple of years and then started. What did did Frank do? He did two or three years in Montreal and then two in Washington? And two in Washington, yeah. So a total of five. Right. And as I understand it, it was sort of Bud Selig and Major League Baseball that kind of asked him to come into Montreal and said, we think this will be one or two years. And it ended up being three there in Montreal before they got out and then – um, in a roundabout way, what's led to this whole Masson dispute. Uh, then they moved the Washington team into uh, the Baltimore Orioles' territory in Washington, and that has led to a fight 
years later over TV revenue. Between uh, both cities, between yeah, between both, both teams. Yep. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you know, Bill Latson will join us, but uh, go ahead. I, I said, and I made the comment as soon as I found out, and I had known Frank was ill for quite some time right. because Frank was supposed to be at a banquet in New York. Uh, the BBW? Uh, I think maybe November. July or August, oh, somewhere okay. in there. And he didn't show, and a lot of people said that he was ailing. Yep. Uh, didn't know he was in hospice care at the time. We later found found that out. Uh, so he's been in but, hospice but care. But I, I can I can say this now. I mean, it was yeah. Bill talking to me. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of swore me to secrecy, yeah. if you will, at the time. Uh, but uh, you know, I when it happened. I grabbed a couple pictures that I had of Frank, and I put it on a Facebook, my Facebook page, and I just went, and, you know, and I, and I told, uh, who did I tell? I told uh, Glenn Clark, maybe, and I also told uh, Scott Garceau and Jeremy over on the other station. Right. I said, uh, I said, I feel like my entire childhood and my professional career has come full circle now. Yeah. Because yeah. as a kid, he was my favorite Oriole. Right. You know, you go out to the playgrounds up at Kenwood High School and you're playing pickup baseball games and you're imitating his stance and getting things Getting close like that. to the plate. Right. You know, getting close to the plate, you're imitating his stance. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you wind up doing that. Then you, you, you're watching him as a, as a baseball icon and star, you know, with the Orioles. And... Then you get a chance later on in life to manage to to get a job where you cover him twice, you know. You both, covered him in Baltimore, I covered him and, Baltimore Washington. and in Washington. Yeah, yeah. and you get kind of get to know him a little bit, and you know that that rough exterior that was always on display. There was quite a soft side to Frank that not a lot of people got to see, but if you did see it, you saw it probably later in in life. Well, that's what Peter Schmuck wrote. Basically, his column in the Sun was about the softness inside yeah. the hard exterior. Barry Blum wrote the same thing, and Bill Latson wrote the same and, thing. And so never, that's a current, that's it, a common theme. It's a with common Frank theme, Rock. and I'll tell you, it was never more on display than it was in 2006, his second season of the Nats being in town, and him managing the club. Uh, Matt Lacroix is catching. And, you know, Schneider's down with an injury. I think the other backup catcher was down for an injury. LaCroix is catching, and he just has a horrible night behind a plate. And there were seven stolen bases. They're playing the Astros. It's at RFK. There's seven stolen bases. LaCroix makes a couple of throwing errors in the game. And in the middle of the seventh inning, Frank had to yank him. And in the middle of the inning. And Frank's press conference after the game He's in tears, and you know, and, and actually, it was Bill who said, "Frank, you look like you lost your best friend. What's the matter?" And Frank started to kind of well up and tear up a little bit, and explained. Yeah. He says, "You know, I felt bad for him, but I had to do what I had to do. I had to get him out of the game." And he said, "I, I felt bad for him because he was in a tough situation." Right. You know, <laughs> and. LaCroix one of the funnier people you'll find. And LaCroix says, if my daddy was managing that team, he'd have yanked me too. <laughs> but, I mean, but, but Frank was genuinely upset right. after that game uh, because of the, the fact that LaCroix had to go out there and suck it up and, 
You know, I, I heard Terry Pluto driving in this morning on uh, Remember When uh-huh. with Ed Randall and Kevin Kennedy was in with him. Uh, Rico apparently has left that show. Yeah. Um, wants to really retire. And so anyway, uh, Pluto was saying the 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 word had always been about Frank that he couldn't handle players that were less than him. Yeah. But Terry Pluto and Kevin Kennedy said that's both said that's wrong. Mm-hmm. What he couldn't handle were players that didn't have the passion that he had. Right. And and but but to some extent that goes back to because if you don't have the passion, you're obviously not going to play the game like, you know. Right. And and I and I think that a lot of people always used to say that well But Rick Dempsey had the passion. Yeah. But he wasn't he wasn't Frank he Robinson. He wasn't Frank Robinson, but but he was an MVP of a World Series. Yes, he was. Uh but you know, but I, I go back to it, and I and I said this on on another podcast I was on yesterday or the day before, and I was talking about it, and I said, you know, I thought one of the things that made Frank mellow out as a manager down through the years, from the time he became the Indians manager to when he went to San Francisco, you heard a lot of different stories about the fact that he was really, really kind of hard nosed and had that thing where he kind of had to get over the hump of players. You know, he was managing players that weren't playing the game as well as he did or weren't as good as he was, and maybe that was something to to take into consideration. But like you said, you know, uh, he says that's not the case at all, that it was just, you know, he wanted those players to have the same passion that he had for the game. Uh, We are here, by the way, some news on Twitter this morning. Mm -hmm. It's certainly not the case the kind of news about the passing of Frank Robinson, but apparently uh, Joe Angel is, there's no been no comment by the Orioles yet, but apparently Joe Angel is not going to be back as a broadcaster for the Baltimore Orioles this year. Yeah, and, you know, and evidently he's decided to maybe retire, and I don't know if uh, you hate to speculate any reason other than he just wants to kind of enjoy retirement. Uh, Joe is 71. He's been at it a long time. Uh, and, you know, there was some questions last year as to whether or not he was going to come back. And he was kind of vague on the, uh, on the comment. You know, he said, maybe I will, maybe I won't. I'd like to kind of keep doing it. Uh, but, you know, you, you hope to God that there's nothing physically wrong or, <clears throat> pardon me, health-wise. But you got to Think about being 71 and the travel. No one understands. Fans yeah. just do not understand a lot of times what the travel and what the grind is like. Of a I major have league trouble season. with the travel from my house to here. <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're talking about you know grabbing, you know, getting on a plane, going to a city for three days, getting out of that city, going to another city for three days. It is a total grind. Yeah, and it, and it's all part of the baseball yeah. season. And, you know, and I I know from traveling with the Orioles toward the end of Cal's career, two thousand, you know, two thousand one, right. right? Those last two years when I was when I was traveling with the team, especially the East Coast cities, and you know, you'd go to Chicago or Detroit, that kind of thing. Uh, but it is. It's grind. You know, you, you have flights to catch, and you got to be on time, and all of those things. And uh, it's it's not. Pack, you it, have to pack the clothes pack the for clothes, nine right. days. And it's not an easy lifestyle, even though they're on the outside and on the surface. You're traveling with a major league team, right? Wow, it seems like it's yeah, really it's, glamorous, yeah, exactly. right, right? It is a grind. It is yeah. a job, 
and sometimes people lose sight of that. You know, it's funny. I was talking about the packing of clothes. With you, of course, you only took one shirt. Well, yeah. And yeah. did you take multiple underwear? <laughs> you beat me to the punch. <laughs> well, I was going to ask if you wore, had multiple pairs of underwear. Anyway, anything uh, else you want to say this no, morning? No, nothing, nothing at all. All right, here's our guest list this week: Todd Karpovich at ten twenty. Right now, ten forty-five might be a hole, uh, but we're not worried about that because we come back at eleven oh five with the new skipper of the Norfolk Tides, Gary Kendall. And then at 11.20, uh, former director of research and statistics for the Baltimore Orioles, Eddie Epstein, is going to join us. And then Bill Latson will close things out at 11.35 uh, on the bat around. But we'll make our connections with Todd Karpovich in just a couple of minutes. You mentioned that you, you had word from Latson or you know, and sworn to secrecy. I first heard through Dick Gordon, mm-hmm. who subsequently passed away himself in uh, very early um, uh, October, uh, that Frank was sick. Maybe I heard maybe in early September mm-hmm. uh, that he was really quite ill. Yeah, um, I mean, like I said, there was a banquet that Frank usually attends in New York, and he did not show for that banquet. And right. People uh, started to talk about it up there, and uh, Bill had gotten a hold of me, and he, you know, he said basically, you know, hey, look, you know, you can't tell anybody about this, but Frank's pretty ill, you know, yeah. and uh, uh, and was, and then I found out he had bone cancer, and you know, obviously, uh, yeah, it's a that's, that's a tough way. That's a tough way. That's a tough road. Tough road to hoe. Anyway, the the great Frank Robinson. It's been. Um, it's been kind of interesting this week, uh, piecing together, uh, you know, uh, recollections of uh, the legend that Frank Robinson is and was. And um, it's interesting when I really reflect on it, Craig. I mean, you know, that Bud Selig had an, a major impact on this this game of baseball. Bart Giamatti had one for a little while. Faye Vincent for a little while. I'm talking in Frank's post-playing career. But when you string together all the facets of baseball that Frank Robinson touched, you're talking about a rather short list of people who may have had more impact on the game than Frank Robinson. Well, and I think if you think back to Willie Mays and Hank Aaron and Frank, yep, those guys all, at parts of their careers early on, Suffered through the same kind of atrocities, if you will, yeah. that, that that Jackie Robinson did. No question and, and, about and it. And in terms of dealing, may with have been all, wrapped up and shaped slightly differently. Like like Frank Robinson dealt, and his wife Barbara dealt with the segregation in Baltimore when they were traded here and couldn't get good housing. Good good housing, and uh, you know the other part about that, and it was actually Brooks who. You know, got a, got Frank in touch with a couple of really, you know, he said, look, I want this guy to have every opportunity right. to find a nice place to live. Yep. And, uh, but, but you think about Frank, sometimes the four years in the minor leagues and things of that nature where, you know, he, he couldn't stay in the same hotels and things of that nature. So, you, you know, for everything that Jackie Robinson did for the game, those three in particular kind of... You know, the, 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 the torch was passed, passed if, on, in a right. way, yeah. And probably a, throw Larry Doby in there yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And but, and but the point I make is that after their playing careers, 
Frank really, in other words, Willie Mays and, and Hank Aaron didn't have, I mean, they've been a part of baseball for 50 years since their playing career. Yeah. But Frank really was fully ingrained. Ingrained became because... the first black manager in both leagues. Right. Um, you know, and then ended up working in a front office. Uh, there weren't a lot of African Americans in the front office. Right. And, and he wanted, <coughs> excuse me, wanted to be the first uh, uh, black GM, and that right. really didn't come to fruition. There was maybe a possibility it could have happened here in Baltimore. Yep. Uh, but that that job was never offered. Right, but he ended up having a significant role, and maybe the only other guy is Joe Torre that you think about who has done all these multiple things that Frank Robinson did. Right, absolutely. And the other thing that Frank got, too, was the giving back part of it. You know, he, he was very mindful of the people who paved the way for him and helped him, you know, throughout, and he gave back. I mean, I remember certainly... Uh, a lot of people who do public relations work and, and community work for the Nationals, uh, I remember vividly Frank helping them out constantly the first two years he was there right. in, in terms of getting out in the community. I remember talking to Bill Latson about Frank uh, in terms of in, in, in 06 when they're going through a real real bad stretch. Because keep in mind, 05, they go 51-30. and 30. I think it was, in the first part of the season. They're right in the thick of things. So here is the Washington Nationals coming from Montreal, brand new, and they're going 51-30 in the first half. They had the identical record on the opposite side, 30-51. and So they ended up 81-81. Yeah, in the second half of the season. But then in 06, it kind of tanked, and, you know, guys – it just wasn't a very good team. And I said to Bill, you know, as as we were – Continuing to cover that year, I said to Bill, I said, they better be very, very careful how they handle this if they're going to fire Frank. And I said, not just because. He was very, po- he was very popular in D.C. Very right? popular in D.C. And, and for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. I said, first of all, African-American manager yep. uh, in a city that's 75, 80% African-American residency. Uh, the other part about that, too, is Frank's work in the community down there mm-hmm. and, and the things that he helped you know, with and, and different charities and things of that nature. I just said to Bill, I said, they better very be, be very careful how they handle yep. this. Otherwise, there will be a PR backlash. Yep. And uh, turns out they handled it pretty well. And, you know, Frank had a big, big day. In fact, I went back on on YouTube uh, a couple nights ago and, and watched the last – it was against the Mets, who had won the division that year. Right. And he wound up, you know – Pointing during his speech, his farewell speech to the fans in D.C., wanted to thank Willie Randolph and the Mets for the competition, and you know, and every all the Mets on the top step right, of the dugout right, clapping right. and things of that nature. So, I mean, Frank was just an icon, and I I wrote on my my blog, my Facebook uh, page that. It was just a pleasure to have known him. Yeah, and, and really you knew was. him well, and you and knew him yeah, well. Yeah, I got I got to know him pretty good in in D.C. and I knew him up here. Yep. You know, but once I found out he was going to be the manager when that team came to town, I was ecstatic. Yeah, I'll bet you were. All right, joining <laughs> us right now on the bat around, and by the way, as we like to remind everybody, anybody watching on Facebook Live or that's listening on the website. Please go to Facebook Live and like this broadcast and share this broadcast, okay? Very simple steps that help us 
build up our audience. Joining us right now is the man who's going to be covering the Baltimore Orioles for Press Box in 2019, and that's Todd Karpovich. Todd, how are you? Doing well, Ken. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I know you got a busy day today. Are you at Hopkins uh, Towson at Towson today? Hopkins Towson. That's 12 o'clock. 12 I'll o'clock face-off. I'll be seeing you about 1225. Sounds good. All right. Uh, who's going to win that game? Uh, Hopkins, I think. Hopkins yeah. is going to be strong, yeah. They've got a strong squad. What do they rank preseason, like seven? Seven. There is seven, yes. All right. And Townsend's not ranked this season? They got votes. Okay. But I know that it's cold out, but if you're a yeah. lacrosse fan, uh, we'll be inside the press box, but if you're a lacrosse fan, get out there and support the Tigers and the Blue Jays in these frigid conditions. Hey, Carp. Long Johns, pal. Long Johns. That's all. <laughs> yeah, man. Just letting you know. Well, he's in and the press box. my winter room. classic ski cap. Hey, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but he's in, the, he's in the press box. He doesn't need that. I, we're talking about the fans. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, Long Johns. Who cares about them? <laughs> I'm going to walk to the press box. If, if you're in the press box, who cares <laughs> about right, the fans? Exactly. All right. <laughs> Todd, uh, Todd, before we start kicking around the 2019 Baltimore Orioles, I know you probably at no point in time really covered – Frank directly. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but your thoughts and uh, recollections of Frank Robinson and what he meant uh, to the city of Baltimore? Uh, just a legend. You know, a Baltimore icon. Uh, him and Brooks, uh, those teams in the 70s. I mean, I wish uh, you know, I wish Frank had carved out a longer career here with the Orioles as a manager. Um, but, you know, he, it's his statues that came in yards, he's immortalized, and it's a big loss for the local sports community. No question about it. No question about it. Um, Todd, let's talk a little bit about, uh, I know you're not going to spring training, but what are you looking for? What are, what are a couple key storylines as the Orioles will break camp at the beginning or start open up camp uh, early next week? Well, I think the biggest storyline is going to be filling out the rotation, you know, having that fourth and fifth starter. Um, that's that's going to be the biggest challenge facing higher off the bat. Um, he's got some arms in there. They signed Nate Carnes this week, and he could be a good option if he can stay healthy, but he hasn't pitched since 2017. You know, so he's got to prove he's durable, and I think David Hesk has got a shot to take one of those spots. And yes, Ramirez started some games last year, but he struggled a little bit. Um, you know, he walked a lot of batters. So that's, that's going to be one of the key storylines in filling out that rotation. Do you think there's still the possibility, and I'm not talking about Dallas Keuchel or Gio Gonzalez, but there's a lot of other starting pitching options out there. Personally, I've looked at Nate Carnes' career, and don't get me wrong, I like Nate Carnes, and he has big league stuff. He has a tough time staying healthy. To me, yeah. I think he'd be much more as an upside guy out of the pen than trying to, you know – get him to pitch, you know, from from zero innings last year at the major league level to think he's going to be meaningful as a starting pitcher, I wonder about that. Yeah, I think that's a stretch. Maybe that's where they started out. Um, the thing is, they just really don't have any really uh, proven guys to take that fourth into the spot. You, you so that, that was starting to be my question. Do you see uh, a name or two out there uh, that might still be available? I don't know, you know, that I thought, you know, um, Wade Miley wasn't, you know, he didn't, he didn't pitch great here, um, but, you know, he's a veteran and he, he's a well, arm. He signed so with I mean, Houston he's now. He's kind of the Astros, yeah. yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, so I don't know, you know what's going to be left out there by the time they hit spring training. Guys are signed, you know. I mean, um, it's just you know, there's this they they all sort of got a late start, you know, with with the manager, and then uh, you know, I think they're going to go into camp with what they with what they have, unless you know, you know, something on a unforeseen happens with the starting pitcher becoming available. Interesting with Nate Carnes, though. We got a chance down in D.C. to see him because uh, he was with the Nationals in 13. Yeah, that's right. And uh, albeit he pitched in just three games, uh, 12 innings, kind of a small sample size. But his ERA there was 7.50. He didn't get many people out. I do remember that. Uh, but, again, I'm, I'm with Stan in this camp in terms of where I think he might be most effective for the Orioles, and that is coming out of the pen. And, uh, you know, depending on how they want to work it and, and how that bullpen They're all shakes down. They're talking about him, though, as a starting pitcher, at least initially. Initially. Yeah, I exactly. think it's a mistake. Again, I think it's a mistake, too, because that means you got to stretch him out and make sure he is stretched out by the time the season starts. And uh, I don't know, with, with everything that he's been through uh, in his career, and, and granted, I know he has been a starting pitcher with the Rays, with the Mariners, uh, he made 26 starts with the Rays in, in 15 and uh, 15 starts in 16 with the Mariners. So, uh, again, but but I remember him basically coming out of the Nationals bullpen and at the time had a pretty good arm but then ran into some injury issues and things of that nature. So Here, Here's some of the names, and I threw you a curveball by asking that before uh, letting you know that I was going to go there. But Clay Buckholtz is still yeah. available. Brett Anderson, James Shields, Edwin Jackson, Doug Fister, Bartolo Colon, Giovanni Gallardo, no thank you. Um, Miguel no. Gonzalez is available. Uh, these are all unsigned, and there's probably 20. Chris Tillman, Irvin Santana. Um, let's see. Uh, now, now with the way the Orioles are currently constructed or – you know, are going to be constructed. Right. Chris Tillman <laughs> might just, be a guy. They're might just be not going to revisit, just, not gonna revisit that, but yeah. that might be a guy who's a perfect fit for a club in this situation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, geez, there might be a little fan uprising, though, especially moving in a new direction. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see that, but I, I know what Craig's talking about. But I think that that other group, Miguel Gonzalez or Clay Buckholtz, especially Miguel Miguel probably couldn't hope to get more than about a million, million and a half dollars right, right now. Yeah, Buckholz exactly. is probably hoping to get a maybe a one year with an option at four and a half or something. Right, and you like know, that. with with Miggy, you know what you get. You got a guy yeah. who who will definitely take the baseball, take the baseball for baseball, you right. and, and eat up innings. And you know, with this club, that's probably one of the guys you're going to have to or a situation for a guy you're going to have to count on is a guy that can eat some innings. The buyer's market right now. Right. Guys, need to get jobs. Let's look at uh, those infield positions. Uh, from what you gather, and maybe maybe you glean from uh, FanFest, does it look like VR is going to be the second baseman? I think so. I think it's going to be VR. They'll have Nunez and a uh, uh, real, 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 real Ruiz right. um, battle. You know, that's battle easy. That's battle. easy for you to say. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um, that that's gonna be, they're gonna battle for third, um, you know, and then the you know they got that the rule five guy, um, Richie Martin's um, Richie Martin. It's just yeah. he's a shortstop who he's, he's got some pedigree, you know, and they think he's gonna come in and compete for for a starting spot. So 
Um, they're going to have a nice young infield. That's going to be key for them. But, yeah, I think uh, in, uh, that's, that's where it's going to play out. You know, it's interesting. One of the reasons, and again, nobody is saying that we hope they sign Brett Anderson or Clay Buckholtz or Miguel Gonzalez because that could put the Orioles over the top. But you take a guy like Clay Buckholtz, to me, what I'd be looking at Clay Buckholtz is 13 starts, staying healthy, pitching well, and then having the value to bring you back maybe a young player, uh, just like I think this club may examine. Uh, I could see this club very easily, uh, if the top three starting pitchers pitch well this year, I could see the Orioles ending the season without any of the three of them. Oh uh, yeah, that's a good point. That's they got to stay healthy. You know what I mean? Well, no, I'm talking pitch- about I'm talking about trading them if they oh, are pitching yeah, yeah. if they're pitching well. I don't think that Cashner, Bundy, and Cobb could have any greater value to the Orioles than bringing back uh, young players. Craig, your thoughts? Yeah, I don't, I don't. I think I don't think they trade Bundy because he's, he's a guy that that came through the system. But you know, there's no telling. You know, well, they could probably get a lot back for him. You know, um, I, I just kind of think they were going to trade Gosman, and look what they did. They got you know, and they did. So, well, if you if you had to if you had to count it out right now, give me what you think is at least the top two or three in this uh, rotation. Oh, it's going to be um, oh, Bunny's the one, obviously. right? And then you got uh, then I think it's Cobb and Cashner. Okay, and I think uh, Hack will be four, and then maybe they got Hunter Harvey, who's healthy for the first time. He's sort of a wild card. Right, coming out, coming out of spring yeah. training. If he said, he said, he said at FanFest that he's one hundred percent. So, and, he, and there's a, you know, he, he's one of their, their big prospects. He's a guy that's been waiting on for several years. It's just, it's sort of uh, making a turn the corner and, and being contrib- and contribute. So and, we'll have to see. And while everybody's um, predicting hundred loss season for this club, mm-hmm. one of the reasons I I don't think that will happen this year, and I'm not saying they're going to finish over five hundred or anything, but I look for market improvement just in terms of the wins number because of Cobb and Cashner to, to go yeah. along with Bundy. I mean, if everybody's healthy and, and, and everything is status quo in that area, I mean, your starting pitching is going to carry you, and hopefully, you know, the offense is decent enough to score a few runs. Yeah, I don't th- expect the team to lose 115 games again, but it very easily could be a 10-win improvement. Yeah, and you're still looking at yeah. 105 losses. You know, I mean, Elias went on the record already saying he's not concerned about wins and losses this yeah. season. He wants to see players get better and you know and, and start you know building toward you know toward a, a playoff drive. But you know, this team it's a young team. If they can if they can run the bases, if they can play technically sound baseball, you know, they can. It's going to be a different Orioles team than in the past. You know, we're like getting home runs and, you know, relying on, like, you know, big innings. This team can get on base, they can steal, they can run. You know, it could be a fun team to watch. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, look, I'm not predicting anything remotely close to the why not season of 89, the bounce back from eight, the horrible 88 season. But I think you could see a team that is a lot more fun to watch. And I'm not trying to blow smoke up anybody's, you know, keister here. I mean, this is not going to be a great club, but I think getting to see a couple of these, uh, to me, one of the main things that they need to, to get out of the 2019 season is to find out which of these building blocks that you have in Austin Hayes, Hunter Harvey, Chance Cisco, 
which of these guys is really going to be a part of the solution to what's going on here? And if you find three to five of those by the end of this season, and I'm not talking about all guys that are going to be like like Richie Martins. I'm not mm-hmm. predicting Richie Martins is going to be an all-star, but could he be a guy that you then say, hey, this is a guy we can plug in for the next three, four years. He's going to do a decent job getting on base and playing defense at shortstop. Yeah, I mean, and those are the kind of guys you look for when, when you're in this situation and you're trying to – Weed through everybody to try to put a roster together that's going to compete and play hard. I mean, we yeah, got to see gonna run out every ground ball. You know, I mean, Hyde already said that this is this is not going to be the team last year. You got Manny Machado, you know, going halfway up the line. This team's gonna, <laughs> they're going to run hard. They're going to play aggressive. You know, they're all, you said they're all fighting for a job. You're going yep. to you're going to have guys here for all these guys. You're going to have guys run harder for less money. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's but exactly right. but but you know, again, the outfield. Cedric Mullins, are we going to find that Cedric Mullins has got tremendous holes in his game, or are we going to find that with the help of Brandon Hyde and this staff, he's become a solid guy that we know we can plug in for the next five to seven years as our center fielder? Are we going to well, find hoping, out yeah, that? Yeah, they're hoping. Yeah. Are we going to find <laughs> out that DJ Stewart is part of the solution, or is he just another failed number one pick? Austin yeah. Hayes, is he going to be closer to what we thought he was at the end of 2017? Yusniel Diaz, are we going to find out that this guy can really play? I think the answer is well, those. Well, I think that Santander and Joey Rickard out there, too. Yeah. You know? I, think the, I think the answers to those questions sort of determine whether this is a three-year turnaround or a five- or six-year turnaround. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, and we're going we're to find out yeah, we're going to find a lot this season. I mean, whatever these guys can play. Your your assessment did did you get to talk to Chance Cisco at all at FanFest? And what are your I, thoughts? I did. Of, what are you? What are your thoughts about him? He's he's such an odd personality for catcher, isn't he? Yeah, I guess you know he's one of these guys. You, I don't think throughout his whole career has ever struggled. You know, and then when he finally started to struggle a little bit, and he got demoted. He didn't right. know how to handle it. Yeah, you know. And then I think I think he I really do. He, he said this. He said he spent most of the off season trying to get his head together, trying to get his confidence back. So he he's going to be an interesting guy to watch. No question about it. No question about it. Uh, Trey Mancini. Uh, Mancini broke onto the uh, major league, uh, you know, uh, horizon in 2017 with a very solid rookie campaign. What do you make of what happened last year to him personally? And and further, Todd, do you think that part of what he was going through was the pressure he was putting on himself because things were so bad for the team? Well, he said that he tweaked his swing in the offseason, and he shouldn't have did that. He said it affected, it affected his performance. And then that, coupled with the team losing the way they were, um, you know, he did start to put too much pressure on himself. He said, you know, in late July when he started to come around again, he went back to his basic swing and, and just, you know, started just, you know, not trying to do too much, you know, and he, he started to come around. And I think that's his attitude coming in this year. He said he's, he's not going to tweak anything. He's going to stay with what got him to the majors. And, you know, I, I think he's going to I think he's gonna have a good, good year. Now, I know you guys talked to Chris Davis, but when it comes to both Davis and Mancini, and what they – I mean, I don't think it's going to take very long for the right. analytics 
part of this to take over right. in terms of decision-making. I don't see Trey Mancini as an everyday outfielder in, in that regard. I give the mm-hmm. man all the credit in the world for getting much, much better and, and, and working very hard at his craft. But lateral movement is, a, is an issue for him. Uh, and, and, you know, let's face it, he's, he's, I don't think he's going to embarrass himself out in left field. But he's not the kind of guy I think, you know, that if you're on a winning ball club that they'd like to see out there. That said, Chris Davis is a very, very good, very good defensive first baseman. Now... You know whether or not whether or not sur- they, he's also a serviceable outfielder, outfielder more yeah. serviceable in right than Trey is in left. Left, right, and, <laughs> and again, this this has everything to do with whether or not they can fix him offensively and right. get him going in the right direction. But can you see those two splitting time at first base this year? Can you see one more than the other playing first base? See, they got you got the Trumbo factor, or sort of takes yeah. the DH. You know, one well, you know you got. You got Trumbo and Chris Davis that can DH, and you got Mancini, you know, Mancini and left. So, I mean, if they could, but they would love to trade Trumbo. They could. And and that's a possibility the second half of the year. There's no question about it. If he's producing and he's healthy, he becomes a very nice trade chip. I'll go so far, and I know you asked the question of our guest, Todd Karpovich, our baseball beat writer. I think the key to that is Austin Hayes and DJ Stewart. If they're playing well and sort of force the issue that one or both of them's on the major league roster, I think then Davis stays at first and Mancini's in left. But if somehow they struggle, my idea would be let's get Chris Davis in right field Mm -hmm. where he's more serviceable and put Mancini at first, you know. And then maybe Rickard and left, or right? Something and and like as that. far as Trumbo's yeah. concerned, as far as Trumbo's concerned, I know Stan said the second half of the year you may try to trade him. I wouldn't be surprised if this organization is not looking for a trade in spring training for him too. Oh yeah, I, I agree. I agree. They, they I just don't think I don't think anybody's picking up thirteen million dollars on Mark Trumbo. No, and no I don't think the Orioles are going to. I don't think the Orioles are going to eat four or five million on that. I think that uh, you know you talk about say, a team like the Milwaukee Brewers, all of a sudden Travis Shaw gets hurt or somebody gets hurt, their first baseman gets hurt, all of a sudden they can pick Mark Trumbo up July 1st for $6 million. Maybe they pick him up at that point. Yeah. And Trumbo all but said he might not even be ready for a day. Yeah. You know what that means. Yeah. You know, it's a good that's, point. Still, that's, still, that's still available. Let's uh, look at one other. We've touched on every facet of this team except the bullpen. I think the bullpen, especially if Richard Blyer can come back, uh, the bullpen could be one of the strengths of this team. Your thoughts? Well, they, got these, they got these young arms, yeah. And um, I think it's the, they might need that bullpen, especially if they can't find a um, if, if they can't find you know if the fourth and fifth starter struggle, you know they're going to need the bullpen to come up, eat some innings. You, know, you got Gibbons out there. You got you know, Tanner Scott, Paul Fry, Mike Wright's not a guy, you know, who they. I don't think he competes for a starting job. I think he's, he's competing for a spot in the bullpen. But, yeah, they got some young, good arms in that bullpen. Again, you wonder uh, – I'm fascinated by how this pen is going to shake down this year because there's known qual- quantities out there. Right. There are some unknown quantities out there. And getting guys to fit in and especially how, how – uh, 
they want to try to use these guys during games and whether they're short guys, long guys, bridging yeah. the gap to the back end of the bullpen. It's going to be very interesting to see how it's all put together. You know who might be an interesting guy, and I think Mike Wright is an interesting guy in that pen. I'll tell you who else I think is interesting is Braden Klein, the former University of Virginia right-hander who's had some injuries. He came back with a very, very sterling season last year at Frederick and Bowie, and uh, there's a a possibility he could force his way into the picture in spring training this year. Yeah, and if you've got Tony Carroll and Evan Phillips, and you got, you know, Danny Hart the next step in his career. You know, if these guys progress the way they're supposed to, the bullpen, yeah, you're right, Stan, the bullpen could be a strength. All right. Todd, we appreciate it. Uh, we know you got to get out to Towson for the big Towson-Hopkins lacrosse game at 12 noon out there mm-hmm. at uh, Johnny Unitas Stadium. Appreciate the well, time. Thanks, thanks for having me. Appreciate All right. It. We'll look forward to talking to you again. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. Well, you know, the one of the things we love about doing this show, Craig, is talking to great people like uh, Todd Karpovich. Right. But our, our next best thing is talking about great places like Big Bats. Big Bats over yeah. on the Eastern Shore in yeah. Stevensville, Maryland, right across the Bay Bridge. You uh, cross the bridge, you hit the first exit there, uh, Route 18, I believe it is. Go up to the top of the light, top of the ramp at the light, and hang a left. And about, about a quarter, quarter of a mile. Yeah, yeah. quarter of a mile down there. You can get all kinds of great bar food uh, and watch the games. And right now you're talking about college basketball in full swing. Wizards, who just made a couple of trades this week. A uh, couple trades? Yeah. I know they traded Otto Porter. Well, they traded Markeith Morris, too. Oh, to uh, who'd they trade? Minnesota? Uh, no, down. Uh, who was it to Markeith? I just saw his name in a, in a yeah, box well, score. Okay. Well, Markeith, Markeith is being uh, touted now once he gets healthy again. Right. A lot of interest from the Lakers. Okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, but, for next year? Yeah, but they traded Otto Porter to the Bulls and. Uh, they they got a, a great return in Collins last night from uh, with Portis. Uh, Portis winds up going for thirty. Starts off last night seven to seven from the field. Wow! So uh, got a great return last night. Now we'll see what kind of. And here's a guy that averaged fourteen for the Bulls. Right. So he comes in, he makes an immediate impact, and I think at this point, you know, we're watching a game last night, and as Scott Brooks said afterwards, you know, I'm. I'd like consistency, but I'm I'm more interested in terms of how guys play the game and what kind of enthusiasm and hustle and yeah. things of that nature. Because yeah, well that, they that got whole. some they got some people to work into the chemistry that's there with Bradley Beal uh, and Sadoransky and and guys like that. But the other part of it is they're going to have to. Uh, it'll be a work in progress going forward. I'm laughing because we were in the middle of a big batch commercial. Yeah, well, yeah. And we were talking about you can go watch the Wizards. Well, yeah. And we're giving all the reasons not to watch the Wizards. No, but <laughs> you can watch the, well, you you watch, watch the Caps. Plenty of reasons to watch the Caps at yeah. this point, yeah. And, so And the American uh, Alliance of American Football, which kicks off this right, weekend. Right, which I have no interest in whatsoever. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's interesting. Anyway, big bats, big bats. There's no place better to stop. Uh, on the way down, we're back and relax and eat at Big Bats. Uh, it's Ken Island's original sports bar. And one thing we agree on, it is the one restaurant you can go and sit on a... On a base. All right, that's Big Bats. We'll be back with more of the Bat Around. And uh, Craig and I are going to kick some things around. And then we'll be joined by Gary Kendall at 11.05. 
don't touch that dial or don't touch that Facebook Live uh, post, uh, and also like it and share it. Kick off President's Day weekend with the Maryland Jockey Club at Laurel Park's 8th Annual Winter Carnival. Join us on Saturday, February 16th for a day of family-friendly fun, live thoroughbred racing, and giveaways for program purchasers while supplies last. Check out one-of-a-kind ice sculptures and carve out your own prize from our six-foot-tall ice wall. The fun continues with Sunday brunch and live racing through Monday, February 18th. Crush those winter blues and join us at Laurel Park's Winter Carnival. You'll be glad you did. Doors open at 11 a.m. Post time 1230. We'll see you there. One third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. What a sweet time to see our friend Steve at his Chick-fil-A restaurant in Nottingham Square. The chocolate milkshakes are the way they should be at Chick-fil-A, thick and chocolatey. But so is the peppermint chocolate chip milkshake, thick, chocolatey, and pepperminty. The strawberry milkshake is thick and very strawberry-y like it's supposed to be. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square also has frosted coffee and ice-cold vanilla shakes. Plus, there's a cookies and cream milkshake. Cookies and cream! The Chick-fil-A sandwich is the best. The waffle fries are amazing. And at Steve's Chick-fil-A in Nottingham Square, his folks come around to check on you if you dine in. They refilled my drink for nothing the last time I was there. Do not leave hungry. Top off your next meal at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square with something sweet. Shakes, cones, and cookies. All done the way you'd expect from Chick-fil-A perfectly. Join Chick-fil-A 1 and score points every time you order for free stuff. Our Chick-fil-A is on Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Pressbox's annual Best of Baltimore Sports Double Issue is now available. Presented by Maryland Sports Commission. This issue recognizes UM BC Basketball's Ryan Odom and Jarris Lyles as our local sportspersons of the year. Plus, 60 more are in the spotlight as we look at the top people, performances, and moments of the year. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. This is former Terp AJ Francis just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled Uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you 
on my list. This is your boy, Y2AJ, here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. Uh, we are back on the bat around, and uh, it is Stan the Fan and Craig Heist, and we're flying the next segment without a guest. We will uh, be joined by uh, Norfolk Tide's new skipper, Gary Kendall, who's down in Sarasota uh, right now, getting ready, getting the troops ready, so to speak. We'll talk to Gary Kendall at 11.05, then former director of research and statistics for the Baltimore Orioles. He also went out to work for... Uh, the San Diego Padres under Larry Lucchino, like a lot of Oriole folks did, like Charles Steinberg, Fred Yulman Jr. Uh, Eddie Epstein went out there for a while and then worked extensively uh, for a series of major league clubs on special projects. He will join us and give us some insights into what kind of uh, time Frank had adjusting under Roland Heeman and Doug Melvin into being a member of a major league front office. Uh, after Eddie, we'll be joined at about 11.35 by Bill Latson of MLB.com, who knew and respected and loved Frank Robinson quite a bit. Um, I just read you the line from Roy Firestone's mm-hmm. piece on Facebook where he says, Frank Robinson was not a lovable man, he was a respected man. And I think that kind of sums it up. Uh, you really had to kind of, and, and I found this out just in the, in the two different stints that I covered him as a manager, he had a very, very hard exterior, okay? Yep. But as we said, there was a soft side, and I I referenced the the Matt LaCroix story from back when he was uh, managing the Nationals. But you you had to be around Frank enough that he got to know you a little bit to the point where he respected you as well. And once that happened, your relationship the barriers broke. The down barriers kind of broke down with Frank, and you could approach him. You could talk to him, things of that nature. I mean, Richard Justice tells one of the great stories of all time about when they're going through the the losing streak, and they all go out to dinner. It's him and Rosenthal, and I don't know who else. Tim Kirchin. Tim Kirchin, yeah. and you know, and he and they're at a restaurant, and they're on the road. And Frank tells, you know, all of them that he got a call from President Reagan. And, he, you know, none, none of them believed him, you know. Right. And he says, you know, <laughs> and, and, and Richard finally grabbed him, you know, aside. He says, really, Frank, did you get a call? He said, I did get a call from President Reagan. He said, what did he say to you? He says, he told me, he said, Frank, I know exactly what you're going through. Mm-hmm. And Frank told him, Frank told him, you have, Mr. President, with all due respect, you have no idea what I'm going through. <laughs> anyway, uh, the great Frank Robinson passing away this week. Um, before we get back to our guests, um, let's talk a little bit about this Washington Nationals Club. Uh-huh. Um, somebody's tweeting me or texting me this morning, uh, somebody that's not particularly plugged in, but he says he's heard that the Yankees have now offered Manny Machado seven years, $220 million, which by my counts, that would be, that would be 20, uh, $30 million a year Okay, for seven years. All right. Seven times three is 21. Yeah, now it would be over Well, over if, if that happens, then the Yankees have to determine where he plays. We, we know that 
we we know that uh, their shortstop DG Gregorius is going to be out, out for the for first two to three months at, at least. least. Yes. Yeah, you know, so you never know how that injury is going to play itself back uh, with rehab and everything. Uh, so again, is there a situation where he plays shortstop and then moves to third base? I don't know, but that's uh, uh, an interesting fit for the. For Machado in New York, if it yeah. happens. All right, so now let's get back to the Nationals. You you told me early in the week that you were hearing some rumblings mm-hmm. that this Harper back to the Nationals could happen midweek this Mid-week week. Midweek, and it didn't, it, yeah. Is, is it the Giants? Are they coming in well, the more Giants, seriously than maybe people thought? Probably, because they had a meeting uh, yesterday or the day before yep. with Harper in Las Vegas, so they're certainly uh, – in the rumor mill, if you will, as far as one of the uh, one of the contenders in the sweepstakes, that meeting, Again, suppo- I still that feel meeting supposedly was Farhan Zaidi, right? Bruce Bochy, right? And Larry Bear, right. who's the president of the team. Him coming back to the Nationals, right? Harper is all going to be dependent on one person and one person only, and that's Ted Lerner, right? The uh, senior Ted Lerner, right. you know, not Mark Lerner, but Ted Lerner. Uh, whether or not this gets done or not. And, uh, you know, the one thing that when the initial offer was made, Mike Rizzo made it very clear that you're going to have to this, – this is our offer. We need to know something by this date so we can c- go ahead and plan our, our upcoming roster and our upcoming season. And you can't argue with the amount of moves that were made by the Nationals to try to – bolster this team and get it ready for the 2019 season. But right now, as this stands with the Nationals, if Bryce Harper returns, and I still think there's a 50-50 chance it happens, it's because of Ted Lerner wanting him back. The Lerners love the guy, meaning Bryce Harper, and that relationship is very good. Now, whether or not they can work something out and whether or not the the Nationals want to head back over that luxury tax uh, threshold because right now, as it stands for the upcoming season, they're under it. If they sign Harper, they'll go over it. You know, a couple small moves that the San Francisco Giants made a couple weeks ago. They re-signed Derek Holland, who had a nice season for them, and they surprised me for where they, where I thought they were going. They signed Drew Pomerantz to mm-hmm. a one-year contract. They already have Madison Bumgarner. All of a sudden, I'm not suggesting that Holland and Pomerantz are great pitchers, but you're sitting down with uh, Bryce Harper. Maybe you're convincing him that, hey, we're not doing the total rebuild that the Orioles are doing or the Kansas City Royals are doing. We are trying to, to be as good as possible as quickly as possible. You know Bryce Harper pretty mm-hmm. well. His signing on, even if he gets the money, to a total rebuild from bottom up would not appeal to him. In it my would opinion. not appeal to him. And I'll tell you another thing that might not appeal to him is playing half of his games at mm-hmm. AT&T Park because right. other than hitting the ball down the right field line uh, into McCovey's Cove, uh, I don't see, unless he d- determines that he's going to kind of go back to using all parts of the field and that kind of thing, I mean, he can be very successful there. But right center field in that place is a cavern. It's a cavern, yeah. And uh, but that means you can get a, a lot real, of doubles, though. You get a lot of doubles, a lot of triples. Yeah. And Bryce runs very well. So yep. uh, my point, though, is I mean, if you're looking at you know the home runs and the power numbers and everything else, 
it, 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 I think it would behoove him to stay away from that ballpark. But, but, but again. But here's their sales pitch. We need you to be our next Superstar, Bobby, yeah, Barry sure, Bonds, absolutely. Our next Willie Mays, right? And that you know, this is a legendary franchise. They've won, they've won three more World Series than the the Nats since right. the Nats came to Washington, right? Absolutely, and uh, uh, again, it, it can be a very attractive place to play. There's a lot of things, uh, you know, in the Bay Area to do, uh, and that whole area. I think with everything that's going on with Oakland. You know, don't they have a famous? Um, and, uh, don't they have a famous burlesque uh, theater? The O'Farrell uh, Theater. I wouldn't know anything about that. Yeah, <laughs> but I can see Bryce there. But I just at the O'Farrell Theater. No, no, I can see him. At, but you just it, said you didn't oh, know. Oh, come on! But you just said you didn't know about the O'Farrell Theater. Uh, I can see him there for the reasons that you stated, just because it is a historic franchise. And yep. And there have been very big impact players play for that franchise. Would he want to be one of them? Sure. But in that ballpark, I'm not so sure. I got to be honest. They were my first choice when, as the season ended, then I was sold this bill of goods and it looks like they're tearing it all down. They're mm-hmm. going to get rid of Madison Bumgarner. You know, suddenly, if you if you sign him, maybe Madison Bumgarner isn't in play anymore. And, you know, all of a sudden you become more serious about that. And at the same time, one of the more attractive things, if I'm Bryce Harper and and I want to sign with the Giants, is because of who manages the team. Yeah, no question about it. And maybe sitting down, maybe Bruce Bochy says, hey, I'm not going anywhere. I want to manage the next five, seven years. You know, Bochy's probably 66, 68, something like that. So that may play a part in this, you know. May play a part in this. But, again – I still think the Nationals hold the cards for this. That's just my personal feeling. Yeah. Uh, I've talked to a few people within the organization. They, they're that, feeling that, fairly confident. That think they, that, that this can happen. But, again, I guarantee it's not going to be Mike Rizzo's decision. It's going to come from, from above. The man, yeah. uh, the man upstairs. Right. Uh, we are talking uh, baseball. And, again, uh, with spring training just about to open in the next four or five days, Manny Machado, Bryce Harper still out there. It's interesting to me, and I think the A.J. Pollock signing by the Dodgers was a very solid signing. In other words, if I had my druthers, I would probably take him over Yasiel Puig, mm-hmm. even up. Yeah. Which player I'd rather have. I think he's a more solid citizen. His temperament's more professional. But, you know, I looked over the Dodgers, and they always strike me as such an odd organization since, um, you know, Andrew Friedman's taken over as the president of baseball ops. And I looked at their numbers because I was given a homework assignment on Masson to come in. This is before Frank passed away, to come in with the number one duo in a lineup. And I was mm-hmm. looking, I said, let me see who's in the Dodgers. And I said, Boy, the Dodgers didn't have anybody that even drove in 90 runs last year. And I know Justin Turner was hurt, and I know Seager was uh, out out, 98% of the year. But their highest RBI guy was Matt Kemp Mm -hmm. at 85. And he's not back. Who do they think is going to drive in the important runs for that team? They really are. And don't get me wrong, they're not a horrible lineup. But there, there's a little bit of, you know, that expression, there's no there there. Right. There really isn't like this, you go, wow, they they really can maul you. 
Right, know? exactly, and and I think that's why most people thought that I still think when the they trade the, when they made the trade, yeah, with the Reds that, that Bryce made, Harper that Bryce was Harper was the easy fit yeah. in L.A. Plus, you talk about playing for a storied franchise. Well, for as much as the Dodgers, I'm, I'm sorry, the Giants are a storied franchise, so are the Dodgers in that regard. So that's my question. Could the Dodgers sneak in oh, here no on Harper at the last minute with a six-year, $240 million contract Well, they, they could, and the other thing that's you got to think about with Bryce is you're playing in L.A. You have well, that's the, where I think he you, wants to be. You're playing in L.A. you got all the endorsements right. uh, that you could ever want. I mean, here's a guy that's you know, obviously a good-looking guy, got a lot of appeal. And, I don't uh, know anything about that. Well, I'm that. just saying, he could be, he could uh, make a boatload more money uh, in endorsements. Um, in L.A. As, in L.A. as opposed to just playing baseball. Yeah, in San Francisco, there's always that endorsement deal with the O'Farrell <laughs> Theater. That's right. Yeah. Um, Let's pivot to one more team, Craig, in uh, the National League East, or two more teams. Let's talk Phillies and Atlanta Braves for just a second. The Phillies make a, in my opinion, a sensational move getting JT Real Muto. But again, the Phillies look like they could be on the outside looking in on both Harper and Machado. Do they then quickly pivot? And maybe try and sign both Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell, or is David Robertson enough to close out games there? But might they be the ultimate fit for Dallas Keuchel? Well, I think either one of those two, because you got to go out and get another starting pitcher. Number one, if you're the Phillies, uh, and if you can't get Machado and you can't get Harper, the real Muto signing is a real big deal for them because right. you know you look top to bottom in that lineup. That's a pretty good lineup right now as it's as it's currently put together. But if you go out and get some more starting pitching, I don't think there's any question that that's a you know that's a team to be reckoned with. We saw what the Braves were able to do in that division last year, uh, and and I don't think that lineup, even though they had Marquez with a really good year mm-hmm. hitting in front of Freddie Freeman, uh, you know, again Acuna Jr. But there's a lot of there's a lot of good parts about the Braves in that lineup. But is it, again, one of those lineups where you say they're going to maul you? I don't think so. Well, that's the team I wanted to get to next was the Braves. Uh, Casey Stern, who we both listen to sometimes on XM Radio, mm-hmm. uh, his current whipping boy, uh, he usually is, makes the Pirates his whipping boy, but he's really made Alex Anthropolis and the Braves his whipping boy a little bit. They, they do sign an interesting one-year deal with Josh Donaldson, which is low risk on the basis that it's a one-year deal. So there's no back end. If, if it's a total failure, yeah, they lose a lot of money for one year. But after that, they signed Marcakis, and they signed um, the catcher, uh, Brian, uh, used to play for the Yankees. McCann. And McCann. Uh, that's a team that was poised to really be a dangerous team. Do you think they've done enough to fortify their position, even within the division, when you look at what the Mets, the Nationals, and the Phillies have done? Well, I I don't know whether they've done enough to make them the clear-cut favorites in that division, but I will say this. If you look at it, all four of those teams have – they've created a division where – 90 wins may get it done because of the fact that you play each other 18, 19 times, you're going to beat up on one another. 
you know, I don't think it's one of those divisions where one team's going to have a dominant record over another. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so from that standpoint, I don't really think they've they've crossed the line and put themselves into that category. No. All right. Well, I think they've had a a, a dismal off season. Yeah. The Atlanta Braves. We'll see. Not over yet either. No. Not over yet. Uh, we're going to make our connection in just a minute. Do me a favor. Wait one more. Wait one more minute. He's been on the field, and I told him we would call exactly at eleven o five. Unless you have eleven o five, I've got like eleven o three. We're going to be joined in momentarily by Gary Kendall, mm-hmm. uh, who's been the manager at the Bowie Bay Sox for I think eight seasons. Right, and he's gotten the elevation up to Norfolk this season. Do you know Gary well? A little bit. Yeah, no, I have you know nothing like I would like a major league manager because I don't cover the minor leagues. But one of the things that's interesting because you know you are a minor league talent. Uh-huh. Um, I'm waiting for the drum the drum roll in that look. He, he he's not angry. Not angry. not angry. He just won't be here the next three weeks. That's right, and, and maybe just, more. And I just and consider the source. <laughs> Are you going to get a T-shirt that says that? Consider yeah, consider the source. The source. Consider the source. Uh, Gary Kendall, one of the things I hear from Steve Molesky, who does cover yeah, oh, the and, minor and nobody does it better. Yeah, and he's a major league talent, right. you know, unlike us. Well, and just ask him. He'll tell you. A, <laughs> but he was talking about it last night at Babe's Birthday Bash a little bit about he's a no-nonsense guy, Gary Kendall. Yeah, and uh, when you're – in a position where he is and you're dealing with guys making their way through the system, you know, levity is a nice thing to have. But, you know, when you're teaching the game and teaching them how to play it the right way, it's probably best to have that attitude and that, and that kind of demeanor. Yeah. I've heard stories where he has really, um, you know, gotten up a couple players, uh, you know, Rear once. Ends, yeah. you know, Jonathan Scope was one of them. I heard a story from my friend Tony Penty the other day about Yusnel Diaz, who one day the entire team was out in the field at the beginning of a game, and there's no right fielder, and he was jawing on the on the bench, mm-hmm. and he goes, oh, I'll go out now, and he says, no, you won't. No, you won't. put yeah, somebody yeah. else in. All right, joining us now is someone I haven't known well over the years, but I've known him. He's been on the the, the – He's been on the horizon for a long time within the Oriole organization, and this year he makes the move from Bowie Bay Sox manager up to Norfolk. Uh, we welcome in Gary Kendall. Gary, how are you? Good, Stan. I'm doing fine, thank you. How are things going down there in uh, Sarasota? You know, great. I've only been here a week, but the program started back in January with guys kind of slowly trickling in, and we're up to about 14, 15 players. Uh, kind of a mixture, some guys that, uh, you know, some veteran players, Cashner and that type of thing. And then you got Wins and Cisco and, a, you know, a variety of guys, some guys that are new to the organization. Uh, Vince, who's an infielder, and Bostic, an infielder, and uh, McKenna, Hayes. So it's, it's a good group of guys, and uh, we have morning workouts. Actually, I just finished one this morning, kind of had a light day on Saturday and just heading back to the hotel. Gary, tell me, is is it already the organization taking on the stamp of Brandon Hayes, uh, Brandon Hyde? What do you mean for the workouts? Yeah, I mean, in other words, what you're trying to teach is there is there a coordinated effort between Hyde and all the other minor league skippers? Well, there will be. I yep. mean, uh, you know, Brandon's not here yet, but uh, in the past, and I know when Buck was here, it was it was. Uh, 
whatever was done up in Baltimore as far as our team defenses, our bunt plays, um, our hitting philosophies and things, and they're going to be put in place all throughout our system. I know Brandon talked of that when I met him back in January, and that's probably what it's going to be. But right now it's kind of just informal workouts, you know, kind of optional type stuff. But I know once we get up with our ball clubs, the philosophies that are that are brought with uh, Mike Elias and Sig and uh, Brandon Hyde and his coaching staff, they're going to be important, and uh, we're going to have to do those throughout our system, which is great because that way when guys move level to level, you know they know what to expect, they know what's going on, and um, they can continue in their development. How easy is that to accomplish? I remember, you know, uh, growing up as a teenager, you always heard the Oriole way, and I saw Frank Robinson's speech the other night. Uh, at his statue ceremony where he said the Oriole way back then was the right way to do things. I'm sure every organization thinks they've got the right way to do things, but how hard is it to go from Major League down to Gulf Coast and do things the same way? You know, I don't think it's hard. I mean, you're, you're, t- you're talking about a different talent level, you know, so some things that you want to apply, it may take, that younger player that's new right out of college that has been doing something that way for, for a stretch of time. Um, so for them to incorporate it into their style of play, sometimes there's a process that comes with that. But, you know, I think where it was really kind of off track was when we, you know, back in the day where you're talking about the Orioles used to kind of train over Miami and everything was together. Mm-hmm. And then since, you know, not too long ago, we've been in Ed Smith and even with our, Twin Lakes complex, there's there's a bond. And players identify now with big leaguers. I remember years ago when I was in extended, I would be in extended spring training, and I would ask people, you know, they knew the Brian Robertses and the, the Marquecuses, but they didn't know who was playing third base for us because they were in Lauderdale. We were in Twin Lakes. There was a three-hour difference. And I thought that was a challenge because our clubs were so far apart. Whereas recently – our ball players that are over in the mini camp, and then of course in spring training, they they get a little t- service time in spring training games, and their eyes are, are 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 more seen by our front office. So I think that's one of the easier things mm-hmm. since we have our camps closer together. Gary Craig Heist here. Uh, let me ask you this, and that's the, you know for you, what's going to be the the biggest difference for you this year having moved from Bowie up to Norfolk and from this from this standpoint is why I'm asking so many times anymore it seems like the jump to the major leagues for most guys come from they're they're coming from triple I mean double a into the major leagues how much of that happens now with guys you know at the at the triple a level to come up there because it just seems like so many more major league teams tap from double a Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I noticed it when I was at Double A, and I noticed it more and more each year. You had to prepare those players to go up tomorrow, and especially those players that were highly touted. Um, I think the biggest challenge, and the, not so much challenge, you know, as I as I went through short season and A ball and all throughout, the biggest thing I noticed was the quality of play at Double A. Mm-hmm. And from talking to guys at Triple A level, and granted, I've not been at the Triple A level ever. They say it's the speed of the game because it's you're you're closer to the big leagues and your roster is uh, kind of embedded with guys that have played in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. 
maybe multiple years. And, and some guys maybe are kind of looking to hang on. Some guys have been up and back. And, and so I think the, the, the quality of play, the speed of the game, uh, I think from a manager's standpoint, you know, preparing your bullpen, kind of thinking innings ahead, um, I, I think that's probably the thing that I'm going to notice the difference. But, uh, but the, the, the style of play, I think, I think at double A, one of, one of the things I noticed was, I tell you what, there was velocity in double A. I mean, you're, you're talking about playing teams, you know, the Cleveland Indian organization, the Reading, uh, the, the Pirates, the Phillies. They had guys that had real good arm strength. And I know in triple A, you'll run into those pitchers that might only be, you know, 90, 92, but they have three pitches that they can throw over the plate. They'll pitch backwards. If you can't hit a slider, you'll see sliders. If, you know, whereas in double A, maybe they have a guy that has a command of, of one, maybe two pitches. In triple A, you'll run into that guy that can, you know, throw a 2 0 change up, a 3 1 change up. So it's a struggle for the hitter. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a much more competitive situation for players we're talking with gary kendall gary's been the manager at Bowie for it's eight years right gary eight years yeah. and he is now stepping up to triple uh, a and will be the norfolk tides new manager gary for you i'm excited because i know it gets you one step closer to a major league either coaching job or managing job what did mike elias or brandon hyde explain to you was the reason they thought that it was a, a good move for the organization to, to kick you up a, a level? Well, you know, actually, it was after uh, 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 Ron Johnson wasn't uh, retained okay. that it was it was brought to me kind of late in the fall, okay, uh, prior to Christmas. And uh, it was right around the time we kind of hired Mike Elias. So I think uh, – the way I understand it, they were going to allow Brandon an opportunity to maybe bring somebody in that maybe he worked with in AAA or, mm-hmm. you know, somebody that he knew of. And it wasn't a, a knock against me. It was just, you know, comfortability. And I totally understand it. And I was fine going back to Bowie. And, and I think Mike and Brandon talked and, and uh, my name came up, you know, and I'm sure they did their research on me. And I was very ecstatic and very honored that they, they uh, chose me. And when I had to sit down with Kent Qualls and um, Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde, you know, one of the first things that Mike said was, why didn't I want the position? And uh, I said, well, really, it's never really been offered. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that they talked about and the big thing that they're stressing is is teaching at the major league level and teaching at the AAA level. Yep. You know, for years, I'm being down in the low minor leagues in Aberdeen and the GCL and Instructional League, you know, it's it, it's development loaded and i think sometimes as you get the double a and triple a as a staff sometimes you feel like well these players are already developed they are what they are and that's not true especially with the young group of players that baltimore is going to feature at the big league level and at the triple a level you never stop teaching you never stop coaching and the demands of early work and getting things right and getting on the same page are going to be vital and that's the only that's the way it's going to make us win here, and and just to teach at the major league level and to teach at the triple A level, so that veteran player that uh, you know isn't quite getting it that you know that the way we're doing things, we're going to have to you know get that player on board, and it's my job and our coaching staff's job to get those players on board with what we're going to try to accomplish here. You know, I've been doing radio since like 1983. 
And in that time, there's been a proliferation of both Latin American players, Cuban players in the big leagues. It's an area that the Orioles, for whatever the reasons, and uh, I, don't, I don't think we need to get into the reasons they didn't get into that market, but they, ha- they have never really significantly tried to make strides there. Ron Rizzi, the scout for the, uh, the Nationals, yeah. mentioned to me last year, he came down to see either Frederick or Bowie, and he says, there's not a single Latin American player on those. This was early in the season. He goes, mm-hmm. God, he goes, there's 25% of the players are from Latin America, and 30% of the superstars are now from Latin America. You've had a, a close-up eye of the other opposition that comes in to play Bowie or you visit them. How right. much does that hurt an organization to not have played in that marketplace significantly? Well, it certainly hurts because there's so much ability. When you're talking about Cuban and players and players from Venezuela and the Dominican, there's talented players. There's so much talent over there. I spent some winters, some offseason over there looking at our young players over there and uh, see some of the tryout camps and some of the players that are signed by other organizations. And I'm just so happy that we're going to, you know, step it up and ramp it up and, and get more of those players because the talent level and, – and they supplement your drafts, you know, yep. and they, a, because you when you have those, you know, that good shortstop or that good outfielder coming from any of those places, and, and, and I'm not saying you, you have a down draft, but let's say, you know, there's not that premier shortstop coming out that draft. It allows you to grab that shortstop that's from the Dominican or mm-hmm. Venezuela that now he's in your system. And, uh, you know, it just, it just makes your system better. I know in Bowie, the quality of players that I had, actually, I was very fortunate, you know, and I was able to, you know, like this year, you know, getting a Yusinel Diaz and, and I had an Adrian Rodriguez who just recently signed with the Padres who was a very productive minor league player. Even if they're not big league players, they support your system and they become good support players in your system to develop other players. Can so I get- it's, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Can I get a quick, like, 20, 30-second on five different players, okay? Sure. Dean Kramer. A guy that really is polished. got a polished delivery. His arm works really good. Uh, he's got a real good uh, breaking ball, good spin on his breaking ball, very intelligent pitcher, and uh, I think he's going to be a, a good rotation starter for us. Braden Klein. Brandon Klein. I Brandon tell you, a guy who I'm battled sorry. through adversity, very yeah. intelligent pitcher. Gifted with a great arm. His secondary pitches have really improved. But he's got a power fastball that throws downhill. And he's a very bright young man. Austin Hayes. Um, I tell you what, with this, you're getting a guy that plays the game the right way. Um, You know what? There's not a glaring weakness in his game. There's a guy that's got power. He can run. He can get on base. He can steal a base. He can throw. He can play left, center, right, preferably to corners. Um, Very, very agile. And, and very open to learning. About Austin, how big a year is this for him in terms of establishing and saying, you know, this guy belongs up at this level? Well, I know he's looking forward to it. He's down here now, and he's a little leader than he was last mm-hmm. year. Uh, so I know he's excited about it. And if he just goes out there and, you know, allows himself time to get into it and, and, and do his thing and not try to do too much, he's going to be fine. Let me continue with three real quick names. Chance Cisco. Francisco, I haven't had him in a year or two, but uh, he's a guy that can can hit the ball to all fields. I'd like to see him do it more. 
Um, continue improvement with his catching, uh, but he's a guy who's got a knack to hit. Uh, he's got a history of hitting in the minor leagues and looking for him to, to really step it up this year and, and compete for that starting job. Zach Pop. Real interesting arm. You know, he's got to work a little bit on his times to the plate. They're a little slow, but he's a guy who's got tremendous sink life, a lot of bore in on right-handers, and he's got a nice, hard, sweeping slider. Um, he's got two pitches. Hasn't been playing pro ball very long, but this guy's got a real special arm, mid-90s. Um, real good guy to, at the end of the game, possibly. And how about D.L. Hall? Oh, I tell you, I've never gotten an opportunity to manage. Only seen him in instruction league. And you're talking about a guy also can really spin the breaking ball. Uh, a nice delivery, very easy going, and he's got plenty on his fastball. And I, I think this guy's going to be a special left-hander for us. So I screwed up. Who was the lefty you had last year? Was it uh, Aiken? Keegan Aiken? Keegan Aiken. Yeah. You know, Keegan, Keegan uh, I tell you what, here's a guy that's got a good riding fastball. You know, you see a guy that can really pitch well with his fastball. Uh, I, I, I'd like to see him utilize his breaking ball and his changeup more in his arsenal. Sometimes he, you know, he, he's getting results by you know throwing fastballs by people. And you know what? He's not overpowering. Here's a guy that's out there throwing 92, 93, which is nothing wrong with that. But he's a guy that's got. If you watch his fastball action, he's a guy that it, it, right as the fastball's getting in a hitting zone, he's got a lot of hop to it, and, and it gets through that strike zone. And guys just don't see it good. It's a lot of swings and misses with a fastball. Gary, we do this show every Saturday morning. Love to get you on about once a month if it works out that way this summer. All right? You got it. Hopefully right. we're in the midst of a win. I hope yeah. so. All right. Uh, thank you very much for taking a few minutes out for Craig, us. Craig, Stan, thank you. All right. There you have it. Gary Kendall, new manager at Norfolk. Chick-fil-A on Sundays. Well, you better act today with Chick-fil-A's reheatable chilled nugget trays. You can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Make all your events remarkable with Chick-fil-A catering trays. They're perfect for tailgating birthdays or office parties or for Craig Heist lunch today. Yeah, exactly. All right. Now, the cost is in. 4100 North Point Boulevard, Dundalk. The place to be for the best seafood around. Steamed crabs. Uh, the raw bar over there is fabulous. Oysters, clams. Uh, specials throughout the week. Uh, Monday, crab cake night. Tuesday is rib night. Wednesday is steak night. And Thursday, lobster night. There are always four or five specials on the menu, no matter what day you go in there. And, uh, and you're you can, liable to run into Craig Heist. And you you darn well may. And Especially you can, if you're young and attractive. That's right. And, you, and uh, female. <laughs> you wind up with a... Uh, a chance to sit down, eat dinner, and watch all the sporting events on any one of their plasma TVs that hang on the wall. Over and there. let me add, if you run into Craig Heist, he'll be happy to let you treat him to dinner. Absolutely, yeah, because if it's it. free, it's me. <laughs> the Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. Also a great place to buy somebody a gift card for a special holiday a gift or a birthday present, 410 477-1975. And don't forget, also, great entertainment. Jazz night on Wednesday night. Rat Pack, the first uh, the first uh, Friday of every month. All right, Costasin. Our children's futures start at a very young age, and Catholic schools prepare them for that future. Academic excellence with the belief that all students will succeed. A balanced curriculum integrating music and arts, foreign language, and Catholic faith while challenging students in the areas of science, math, and technology. 
Discover the Catholic school's difference. Please visit archbalt.org schools for more information. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. One third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. Kick off President's Day weekend with the Maryland Jockey Club at Laurel Park's 8th Annual Winter Carnival. Join us on Saturday, February 16th for a day of family-friendly fun, live thoroughbred racing, and giveaways for program purchasers while supplies last. Check out one-of-a-kind ice sculptures and carve out your own prize from our six-foot-tall ice wall. The fun continues with Sunday brunch and live racing through Monday, February 18th. Crush those winter blues and join us at Laurel Park's Winter Carnival. You'll be glad you did. Doors open at 11 a.m. Post time 1230. We'll see you there. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KOO from the Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options for 30 solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Right, we are back on the Battle Round, Stan the Fan and Craig Heist. I want to say hi to Brittany's mom, who's yeah. home watching the show All on right. the live stream on Facebook and doing laundry, and had I known that beforehand, I'd have stopped and left my laundry before I came in here. <laughs> Oh, you have that type of relationship yeah. <laughs> there with, you go. with the Everett family. All right. Joining us now, and we're a bit late for him, and I apologize, is an old, dear friend of mine. 
He's the guy who taught me an awful lot about baseball in his days as director of research you didn't and do a, statistics. You didn't do a good enough job, well, Eddie. <laughs> all right. It's Eddie Epstein. Eddie, how are you? Fine, thanks, Dan. Funny, funny, Craig. How are you, pal? I'm all right. Good. Uh, sad news, middle of the week this week. I don't know if you were up to speed on the fact that Frank was sick, whether you knew it or not, but uh, your immediate reaction when you heard that he had passed. Well, I, I did know that he was ill. In fact, in my blog, I posted, uh, tried to send him good thoughts, good wishes the yep. week before he passed away. And then, weirdly, the day he died, I uh, my blog is mainly about cars, but the day he died, I posted a picture of the entire 1989 Why Not team, you know, uh, players and staff, and once again talked about Frank and then heard the news uh, obviously very saddened. Um, Frank Robinson was my favorite player growing up in Baltimore. I had a poster of him, you know, on the basement wall. And every once in a while, you might be fortunate and your real life can exceed your dreams because I later got to work with Frank Robinson, of course, with the Orioles, and he and I had a, a great relationship. Um, if I may relate a little story yeah. along those lines, something I wrote in the blog. Yeah. Um, one day I was walking by his office and just stuck my head in to say hello, and I noticed a cap on his desk, a cap which I had never seen before, and the cap had the letters CR on it. So I asked Frank, Cedar Rapids? He said, no, Colorado Rockies. So I asked him, I go, are you going somewhere? He says, no, but if I do, I'm taking you with me. Oh, and you cannot imagine how that made me feel. That's pretty just, good. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Well, you were, you were one of the smartest guys in any room back in those days, and I'm wondering... And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, other than the fact I know you knew Frank very well and you worked with him, is you're the only person I really know to talk to about what that adjustment for him was like because he was like the rookie coming into the front office with Roland and Doug Melvin already there, but Larry Lucchino gave him a, a meaningful position. Uh, did he find it hard to fit in, or what was he like in those days? Uh, Frank was actually very easy to work with, but he was never afraid to express his opinion. Mm -hmm. um, I think he also saw the role with the Orioles as training for perhaps becoming a general manager or maybe becoming an owner down the road, which I think were his um, eventual goals, which unfortunately for him he was not able to achieve. But uh, again, I mean, you know, he was Frank Robinson, so he had his bona fides gave him credibility. So if he um, had, you know, he, he was obviously a major player, had input into all the decisions that were made um, on the team. You know, he, he, he and Doug and Roland were the three top decision makers. Larry, of course, oversaw all of that. But, um, you know, he was, he was a major player from day one. Let me ask you this. When, when he came here after seniors fired six games into the 88 season, mm -hmm. And we know that that goes 0-21 before they win the game in, in Chicago against the White Sox. I always remember Frank saying, along about 14, 15 into it, he goes, he says, damn, they fired senior after six games. I probably <laughs> wonder how long I'll last. But then he, hey, we, uh, then we, he turns around. We were around all worried. And, that was my first year with the Orioles. Yeah, yeah but then he you turns know, around. He turns my around career's going to last four months, and I'm going to get fired. You know? <laughs> he turns around, and, you know, 89 turns out to be one of the great years. He's manager of the year, uh, and, and such excitement for Oriole fans after such a tragic season in terms of wins and losses. Uh, but just the fact that 
you know, I, I think the safe – and I've, I've noticed this, and I've covered him twice now as a manager. I think it's safe to say that no matter what kind of teams they were – and the record certainly doesn't bear out that Frank was a great manager – by God, guys played for him, and he got the yes. most out of their talent. Yes, without question. Uh, you know, Frank was an aggressive player, and I think Frank tried to get his players players to play aggressively as well. You know, he, he didn't want them giving up any plate appearance, any opportunity. Um, and it can be hard in this long slog of a 162-game season to put your best effort forward every single inning of every single game, but that's what he tried to get them to do. We're talking with Eddie Epstein, who worked for the Baltimore Orioles for a number of seasons. He was uh, at the last uh, day that he worked for them, director of research and statistics. Uh, Eddie, I wanted to ask you, when you have a, and I'm not talking about a talented baseball player, but when you have a smart baseball man, which Frank was, do, do his, does his knowledge jibe with the analytics in other words, do you find that that was the case? Unlike most people of Frank's baseball generation, right. he actually had an open mind in applying statistics to baseball. I know he made some comments while he was manager of the Nationals that would refute what I just said. Yes, he did. <laughs> but he was very, he was very open-minded. Um, he, well, I, one of the things I used to do was prepare before every homestand and before every road trip, let's prepare a, a left-right tendency of the opposing team, their batters and pitchers. And I, uh, I don't want to get into another story, but all I can tell you is Frank told me it, it, it helped the team win games because he was willing to use the data, willing to use the information. Well, I'll tell you what, here's a great story. Uh, Nationals make their first playoff appearance and win the division in, in 2012. And that's a year that Mike Trout has a really good year, but it's also the year that Miguel Cabrera won the Triple Crown. Mm -hmm. So Frank comes back in the playoff series against the Cardinals, Game 3 at Nats Park, to throw out the first pitch. He meets with the media upstairs in the press box, and everybody was asking him about why Mike Trout should be the MVP this year. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to Cabrera, who won the Triple Crown, and, and, and Frank basically says, well, why, why isn't, you know, Miguel Cabrera winning the Triple Crown? I mean, why isn't he the MVP? He won the Triple Crown. And somebody said, but Frank, he says, look at, look at, all you have to do is look at uh, Trout's war number. And he says, right. and, and Frank says, war? What the hell is war? <laughs> And he says, you, you cannot deny a guy, the MVP, who just accomplished the hardest thing there is to do in baseball. <laughs> so maybe, maybe Frank went more on the eye test, Eddie, than he did on the analytics. I don't know. Well, well like I said, um, I, I know what he said later, but I also know working with him day to day, he did respect the things that I was doing, and he did use them. So. Well, it's no question. It was fascinating this past year, Eddie, and I know you're not following baseball the way you did at one point in your life, but it was very interesting to hear Zach Britton when he was traded to the Yankees about a month after talk about how the analytics that the Yankees presented him were very helpful, and then Kevin Gausman and Brad Brock in Atlanta said the same things. Uh, clearly, the work you did – Back in the late 80s and into the 90s, all through the 90s, it's much more accepted today 
and and I would say that that smart baseball people feel the analytics are crucial, a crucial component to putting together a winning strategy. Uh, thanks, but I would also say, Stan, that the revolution apparently has begun to eat some of its leaders, and mm-hmm. we'll leave it at that. All right. So. Anyway. Especially from a scouting department standpoint. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah. Eddie, uh, before we uh, let you go, and we've got Bill Latson who covered um, uh, Frank in Montreal and in Washington, uh, Sig Meidel, uh, do you know Sig at all, or do you know of him? Uh, I, I know of him. I, I, I don't know him, though. Okay, okay. Because clearly uh, he was he was one of the – the more over the last ten years, more of the leading proponents of of analytical approach to research. Eddie, let me ask you this real quick, and that's you know what, what you were saying about what you prepared for Frank. You know, Frank also worked on the bench for Earl Weaver too, for for a little bit of a time. And you know, I've often heard Frank say that with Earl's ability to use the index cards and things of that nature, he was one of the first kind of early revolutionaries, if you will, as far as the statistics and maybe analytics, but only in a, in a, in a very, small, very way. small way. But I, I think it's safe to say then with what you're saying is that Frank took a lot of that too from Earl because I've heard Frank say that he learned a lot watching Earl prepare for games. Oh, no question. In fact, I remember one time I had a conversation with Earl Weaver in the dugout in 1985 when we were discussing players and I talked about this baseball simulation I had written that could play an entire season in two minutes or whatever. And at first, you know, he was a little bit uh, sarcastic. But then when I started to tell him some of the results, he seemed very interested. Like, yeah. wow, that's, you know, I didn't know that. That's very interesting. I think Earl's a, a really smart person understands they never know it all. Remember Earl's yep. book, It's What right. You Learn After, after You Know, you know it, all it All. Counts. Yep. And really intelligent people know that they have to always try to keep learning. Eddie that's, Epstein. That's what Earl did. Eddie Epstein, great to talk to you again. Maybe we can reach out to you again sometime, hopefully for not uh, such sad reasons. All right? Thanks a lot, guys. Give my love to Vicky. All right? Thank you. All right. There's Eddie Epstein, Director of Research and Statistics for the Baltimore Orioles circa 19, uh, you know, 88, 89. It's a long time ago. It is. Long time ago. You know, and sometimes it just, it it almost seems like it was yesterday when you talk about those things. It does. It does. It's like a blink of an eye. My entire career is like coming, and now all of a sudden I'm in that next wave. When When I first started to realize it was when you'd cover a player, Don Buford, for example. Yeah. And then you're watching Damon Buford play, and then you're watching the sons of these players that. And you're like, nah. <laughs> I used to, I used to, you know, I'd always go back in the baseball encyclopedia and I go, oh, that guy was born in 1939. Mm-hmm. Then it was the 40s. Then it was the 50s. Now we're about to get players that were born in this century. Right. Be ready to play. Maybe right. that's when you know that an awful lot of time has gone through. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It flies. All right. By the way, Glenn Clark here every day, Monday through Friday from 10 to 12, Kyle Ottenheimer with Glenn Clark Radio. Sunday mornings, Kyle Ottenheimer sits in with Sarita Hubbard and Ken Zalis with the Fantasy and Reality Football Show. And I'm here every Saturday. And um, looking forward to another baseball season as time marches on. Can't get here soon enough. Yeah. Joining us right now 
is someone um, who I know had a bittersweet week this week, and that is uh, Bill Latson, uh, because he knows his friend was saluted mightily uh, throughout the game of baseball, but we lost Frank Robinson. Bill, uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, we know Frank Robinson was a pretty special person to Bill Latson. Yes, he was. Uh, he really helped me out a lot. Uh, he's my baseball mentor, without a doubt. And uh, I wasn't surprised that he passed away because I knew since November that something was wrong. So, uh, yeah, this was expected, and, um, you know, I know he's in heaven right now. When when you say uh, he was your baseball mentor, can you talk about I, I read your column the other day. But it didn't start out so warmly between the two of you, right? Which, which <laughs> no, is almost <laughs> always the case with every story about Frank. It was like Frank got into my face. Yeah, and and well, Frank Frank probably told him the same thing that I've told him several times during the course of our relationship. Right, you're right, exactly, Craig. Well, what happened was, uh, you know, when I started on the Expos beat, um, I started November first, two thousand two. Uh, the first thing I wanted to do, I wanted to talk to Frank Robinson, so I tried to contact him. I already had his phone number. So I was trying to get him for two weeks and didn't return my call. So then finally, uh, maybe after the 15th time, <laughs> he answered the phone, and I'll never forget it. He said, Bill Latson, you are a pain in the butt. <laughs> and, he, and he hung up on me. And I, I tell you, I, I'll be the first to admit I was scared, and I, I was I was shaken. But then by the time we got to spring training, it was a totally different story. We started having uh, long conversations, and uh, from that point on, it was really great. When you say he was your mentor, what sorts of things did he teach you? Well, he taught me, number one, that batting average wasn't that important. He was not into batting average. Um, he was he was into RBIs and uh, run scored and, and all that good stuff, but you know things that change the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. And when it came to pitchers, for example, he was not into strikeouts. The only thing he wanted the pitcher to do was have a good location, which meant basically no strikes. And uh, you know he really taught me a lot. And I can tell you another time, um, he always seemed to know person's personality. And the person that comes to mind is Javier Vasquez. Um, you know, him and Vasquez really didn't get along. And I remember when he was traded to the Yankees, he predicted that uh, Vasquez would not do well. He said the, the media spotlight would get on him. Mm-hmm. And it turned out uh, that was the case. He didn't do well in New York. And uh, the Yankees let him go, as you remember, after one year. And uh, I said, wow, man, Frank called that one. So he seemed to know uh, people pretty well. You want to talk about respect. Uh, Bill, you and I covered this team since its inception in D.C. Remember the day uh, that Frank went to the man? I, I want to say it was Tomo Oka. It was Oka. It was Oka, yeah. <laughs> Frank goes to take the ball from him, and Oka just kind of flipped the ball in the air. And Frank caught it. And then he, Oka's heading to the dugout, and Frank says, get back here. Oka goes, yeah, Oka, Oka, goes, Oka goes back, he's going to hand me the ball. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. And he, and he snatched the ball 
from Oka. He snatched yeah. it from him. And yeah. uh, I remember that so well. And then Oka was traded. Traded uh, the next day, wasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> uh, a couple of days later, not too long after that. So... That was, I remember that well. That was Tomo Oko throwing the glove down. That was yeah, his that was, version. Of, yeah, that was his version of uh, last year, uh, throwing throwing the glove John down. John Kelly. John Kelly, yeah, he throws yeah. the glove down. He's gone. In, in, in the blowout game, I guess, and he was asked to come in and finish out the ninth inning, and he gave up a three-run homer, and he just slammed the glove down, and that was it. The next day he was traded. <laughs> right, correct, correct. I remember that. We're talking with Bill Latson of MLB.com. Bill, uh, one of the things that I've, I haven't heard others mention, but every opportunity I've had to mention it, I mentioned sort of measuring Frank Robinson's career from player to coach to player manager to the front office and then to an executive within the league. The only thing he didn't really do was become a general manager or an owner, but when you look at, at the width and breadth of his career, there are very few people, it's a very rarefied list of people that accomplished what he did in the game. Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, usually with great players, they end up being coaches or ambassadors, but that was not the case of Frank Robinson. Frank Robinson kept himself busy, man. I mean, if people forget that he was once the head of the Arizona Fall League. Uh, when it, during its inception. And uh, he was also, you know, like uh, the guy who, you know, gave fines to players for fights and all that stuff. I mean, it was, uh, it was a great career. I mean, uh, you know, you know he, he told me many times he could have kept playing because, you know, he was close to 700 home runs. But he didn't want to do that. He wanted to become a manager. And, you know, you saw him become that manager in Puerto Rico. And then he became finally became that manager with Cleveland. So it, it was a great career, great man. You know, it wasn't a great managerial career. But one thing you can say about a Frank Robinson team, they always hustled. And, uh, you know, they, they never gave up. So uh, that's the one thing I, I loved about Frank Robinson. Yeah, we just had Eddie Epstein on, uh, who used to work for the Orioles in 88, 89, 90. His last job. Uh, he was uh, a director of statistics, Stan, right? That was the director of research and research statistics. And he statistics. was the first guy hired by a major league team that really worked in that area. In that area. And, you know, he helped Frank out quite a bit. But I got to tell you, that whole stretch when Frank was the manager of the Orioles. So uh, I, t- I told Stan the story earlier. I said, you know, they fired Cal Sr. after six games. And along about the uh, during the 0 and 21 start to that year, about the 15th game, Frank just looked at all of us after losing about 10 straight, and he goes, "Gee, Cal Senior got canned after six games. I wonder how long they're going to keep me." <laughs> so wow. he he winds up he winds up going through the 107 loss season, and then next year, of course, the why not year where they take the Blue Jays all the way down the wire for the American League East title, and then you know in 90. The club regresses, and in 91, I'm on the warning track right outside the Orioles dugout at Memorial Stadium, and Rick Vaughn at that time was the assistant PR director to Bob Brown. Right. And Frank was over by the batting cage, and Rick comes to the top step of the dugout and says, hey, Frank, they want to see you. And and 
Frank comes walking by me, and as he comes by me, he looks down, smiles, and gives me the throat slash <laughs> symbol. Like he like knows, he knows this is it. <laughs> I heard, yeah. I, I heard a great story last night. Mel Anton told this story on. Uh, he told it off the air, and there's no reason he couldn't have told it. But Rick Vaughn, apparently this, and this wasn't during the bad year, uh -huh. but, but Rick Vaughn had a piece the Sun did about him. Mm -hmm. And Rosenthal came in and says, Frank, when Rick Vaughn gets here, why don't you tell him how pissed off you are that he's out getting publicity for himself oh, right. when, when his job is to get publicity for the team and the players. Uh -huh. And they did. And, and he, Frank lit into him in front of Mel, Ken Rosenthal, Justice, like three yeah, or right, four right, guys. Right. And he goes, your job is, to, is not to be getting publicity for yourself. And he said Rick was like, well, they, they asked me to. He goes, well, damn it, you, you're supposed to get publicity for us. <laughs> and he said, he, said, he said Rick Vaughn like, took, took the bite and was like, took, took the hook. Yeah, he took the hook. <laughs> we're, talking with wow. Bill, we're talking with Bill Latson, some of the funny stories about uh, Frank Robinson. Um, um, and Craig, go the one, ahead. The one, the one, uh, and we we referenced this story earlier, uh, the Matt Lacroix story in '06 against the Astros. Uh, when right. you, I, and I said to Stan, I said, Bill walks in the interview room and he looks at Frank. He says, Frank, you look like you just lost your best friend. And then Frank basically s starts to to weep and cry a little bit and uh, told the story. Told the story, and then you know the the fact that uh, he winds up. You're having to pull LaCroix in the seventh inning of that game. Correct. And, uh, yeah, that was, you know, that's the sensitive side to Frank Robinson. I mean, he cared about people. He really did. And you know what? Even though he had problems with umpires, I got news for you. He cared about umpires. Mm -hmm. He did. Mm -hmm. Like, I can remember one time, I forget who the umpire was. It was really hot out there at RK. And it looked like the umpire was about to collapse. And Frank admitted that he was scared that he might collapse because of the heat. And he was hoping that the umpire was okay. But listen, I, I've seen him care about umpires as well. So he really cared about them. Yeah. One of the funniest stories, and unfortunately we can't really tell the story on the air, was, was, not, was not directly out of the mouth of Frank Robinson, but it was out of the mouth of Doug Rader. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, if, uh, I know Craig's going to know it in a second. Mike Devereaux on a Friday night hits a home oh, run yeah. in, the, in the 10th or 11th inning to win a game, and it, apparently I was not at that game, and it wrapped around the foul pole, but Doug Radar, the manager then of the Angels, was sure that it didn't wrap around. He thought it, it, he, he thought it yeah. sliced around uh, foul. And the next night they come out to uh, – to, to uh, exchange the lineup cards, and I don't think Frank came out that night, but no. Doug Rader comes out, and he's out there 10 seconds with the umpires, and the home plate umpire throws him out of the game, or the third base umpire throws him out of the game. Apparently, uh, uh, Doug had said something derogatory about the ump, implying that uh, Frank Robinson was uh, – Given some favors or doing some favors, yeah, to get that call, and it is one of the funniest um, off-color comments 
uh, I've ever heard. I mean, and, when we and, tell and Bill, we, I told you that story before. When we tell that story, we are on the floor laughing. Yeah, and and but the bottom line to it was, I've never seen really. I never. Well, you know what? I think Earl probably got tossed before a game uh, at one point in time. But I I know it's the first time I'd ever seen it in person where. Doug Rader just came out. He handed the lineup card to the umpire, and the umpire looked at the lineup card because something was written on the umpire's lineup card. Oh, that's right. It was written. It was written, and as soon as the umpire read it, he tossed Rader out of the game. It was great. That was great. Wow. That was great. One of my all-time favorite stories, but Frank Robinson's name is in what was written on that. Uh, boy, that would be a, an, a lineup card that I would to love save. to get yeah, a Yeah, get a hold of, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have – Ripken's lineup card where right. he's taken out of the lineup, Phil Regan, right? You'd right. love to have that lineup yeah. card. No question uh, about it. Bill, let me ask you something. You, you, we, we talk about Frank, and, and I think it's safe to say the soft side, a, a lot of people uh, – I'm sorry? I didn't say anything. I think okay. he's picking up, like, walkie-talkies on his yeah. phone or something anyway. like that. Anyway, uh, the, the, when you think about Frank and you think about the legacy, there's – I feel kind of fortunate because, as Stan said a while ago, you got to get to see the side of Frank that not a lot of people really know about, and that's the soft side. And when whether you're talking about charity work in the community, what he does for certain organizations, and just basically the way he treats people once he gets to know you, uh, I think that's something that just can't be understated. He, you really don't get a chance to see that if you didn't get to know Frank Robinson. I think it's safe to say, uh, in my case anyway, that Frank Robinson took care of me. And, uh, you know, whenever I needed a, 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 to call him on the phone, he was always there. I mean, like, um, for example, if I needed to talk to him early, I had to get him early in the morning because, you know, he lived in Los Angeles. And I had to get him, like, uh, 7 in the morning because he, he was going to the golf course early. So... He, he was always around, and, uh, uh, you know, I have nothing but great things to say about Frank Robinson. Now, did we have disagreements? There's no question about it. And that's the one thing I'm, I'm proud of is that I never went behind Frank's back. I always told him how I felt. He never had to hear, he never had to hear it from anybody else but me. So, um, well, that's a less, uh, that's a life lesson that he taught you, I'm sure. That's you know, correct. To, to, I, do know, it the, I, to do it the right way. That's correct, and uh, it, it was fun. It was fun to deal with them. Before we let you go, we'd be remiss with spring training opening in the next four or five days in most cities uh, down in Florida and Arizona uh, where spring trainings are held. Uh, Machado and Harper, what's the latest you're hearing? How serious is San Francisco's interest in Harper, and how serious are the Yankees still interested in Machado? You know what? I'll be honest with you. I think uh, regarding uh, Machado, um, you know, I went to the summer Munson dinner recently, and, and uh, Aaron Boone said they should sticking with the players that they have. Okay. Um, do, do I agree with that? I mean, yeah, because, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, they pretty much said they're not going to spend the money. And regarding uh, Harper, I don't know. I, I just don't... Uh, you know, I, I think that San Francisco is going to be a viable option. I mean, Buster Posey has already said, sign Harper. So, um, I mean, that could be a good fit. But then again, um, you know, the ballpark is not fit for home run hitters. So we'll, we'll see. All right. 
we we really greatly appreciate your coming on and talking about your friend and the man you covered for a long time, Frank Robinson, Bill. You got it. Anytime. All Thanks right. a lot, Bill. We'll talk soon. Okay. Take Bill care. Latson. Uh, there. Uh, by the way, uh, I don't know uh, how many of our listeners and viewers on Facebook Live are movie fans. Albert Finney has passed away. So we lost two legends over the course of four days in uh, uh, Albert Finney and Frank Robinson passed away. Uh, Craig, are you surprised, before we take our last break, are you surprised that both of these guys, players of this caliber, are out there unsigned as we're about to go to spring I'm not surprised that they're unsigned. Uh, You'd always like to get it done before teams get into camps. But again, you got another week or so before players, players position are, players yep. have to report. I'm not surprised by it, and the reason I say I'm not surprised by it is because of the way this thing is all played out. With other people that were thought to be getting big contracts, albeit not the caliber of Harper and Machado in the past two, three years that haven't materialized. Now yep. you can you can yell collusion, you can yell, but but something's got to be done, Stan, with this free agency situation. When the next CBA comes up, because right now you can tell it's broken. Well, you know, and and it was interesting. I wrote a piece for Jay Moore, which was entitled "The Winds of War," and I built the case that we're we're in for an all-out bloodbath. Yeah. And then, as I was writing that piece that came out February first, I was writing it about January eleventh. Apparently, MLB at least started the ball rolling to get a dialogue going by making these proposals. And I think half of them are smoke being blown. But I think you are going to see two key factors are going to be a change in minimum salary in the next basic agreement. I mm-hmm. think it's going to go up substantially, like five, $600,000. And I think you're going to see players get the free agency sooner. Um which I think, in other words, they're going to say, well, if you're not going to pay us on the back end, you got to get us out into the market a little bit earlier. Right. And I think it'll be different when other players, not, not of the caliber of Harper and Machado, but when other guys are free agents at 25 and 26 rather than 29 and 30, I think it's going to be a big difference. I think it will be too. And I, I think also, furthermore, I think you are going to see a 26-man which will be 30 new jobs, right? and I think you are going to see in 2022, you'll see the DH added universally, which is 15 higher-paid jobs than they would be if they were sort of fringe relief pitchers. Yeah, and Although uh, relief pitchers make a lot of money. I understand that, but I know there's going to be some brushback by that because there are a lot of people, National League GMs and, and people in the National League, they have no desire to have the yeah, DH. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. I, yeah, and I mean, I, my only problem with it, and I said this long time ago, I don't care what it is, whether it's the DH or whether you want to go back to the pitcher hitting all the time yep. and just make it universal in the game, not have one rule for one league, one rule for the other. I just want it to be one way All right. throughout well, the game. We're going to have one way when we get back after these words. We're going to say goodbye.
Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local Turtle. Pressbox's annual Best of Baltimore Sports Double Issue is now available. Presented by Maryland Sports Commission. This issue recognizes UMBC basketball's Ryan Odom and Jarris Lyles as our local sportspersons of the year. Plus 60 more are in the spotlight as we look at the top people, performances, and moments of the year. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Section 336 here with all your Baltimore sports talk. The Raven season is now done, but the Orioles season is just ahead. We have a new GM. We have a new manager. We have a few new baseball players out there. Reason for optimism. I don't know if you can name any of those new players, and I think we won 40-some games last year. Yeah, but I remember a terrible year in 1988 where we were able to turn it around the very next year in 1989. Why not 2019? Yeah, why not? Why not check out Section 336 at Section336.com, Facebook, or on Twitter and iTunes as well. Just search for Section 336. What a sweet time to see our friend Steve at his Chick-fil-A restaurant in Nottingham Square. The chocolate milkshakes are the way they should be at Chick-fil-A, thick and chocolatey. But so is the peppermint chocolate chip milkshake, thick, chocolatey, and pepperminty. The strawberry milkshake is thick and very strawberry-y like it's supposed to be. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square also has frosted coffee and ice-cold vanilla shakes. Plus, there's a cookies and cream milkshake. Cookies and cream! The Chick-fil-A sandwich is the best. The waffle fries are amazing and at steve's chick-fil-a in nottingham square his folks come around to check on you if you dine in they refilled my drink for nothing the last time i was there do not leave hungry top off your next meal at chick-fil-a nottingham square with something sweet shakes cones and cookies all done the way you'd expect from chick-fil-a perfectly join chick-fil-a one and score points every time you order for free stuff our chick-fil-a is on campbell boulevard in the nottingham square shopping center Our children's futures start at a very young age, and Catholic schools prepare them for that future. Academic excellence with the belief that all students will succeed. A balanced curriculum integrating music and arts, foreign language, and Catholic faith, while challenging students in the areas of science, math, and technology. Discover the Catholic school's difference. Please visit archbalt.org schools for more information. 
All right. Uh, we thank you for uh, tuning in on Facebook Live or on uh, our website, pressboxonline.com slash radio or Facebook Live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. It's not too late to share and like it. Looks like we had a lot of comments uh, this morning and a few shares. Still not too late to share the show. Uh, it helps us build up our audience of viewers, all right? What are you up to tonight? Uh, I got a Caps game against Florida, and then, uh, let's see, what else this week? Maryland-Purdue on Tuesday. I'm going to be down there. Thanks for the warning. Uh, keep going. <laughs> okay. 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 And I'll see you in uh, March. Yeah, because we'll be doing the uh, Nats uh, Talk Live show on Saturday mornings on Masson. You've got to get back to me, though, with whether you can fill in for me on March the 7th, 8th, 9th. 9th. March 9th. All right. Okay. Let's see how that All works right. out. All right. All right. Brittany's here. Mm-hmm. She's here. We keep my fingers crossed. We keep Brittany here. Yeah. So we don't have Kyle Ottenheimer. Well, here. that's true too. Yeah. But you know, the, the all right. I'm of course, all... she's going to need a job soon. So I know. I know. I'm hoping you'll find her one. Well, you know. we'll, we'll do what we can. It's, it's a shame she should have gone. All those <clears throat> times you asked her to lunch and breakfast, mm-hmm. turned you down. I know. Now when she needs you, you're not there for her. Oh, but I found a, I found a, uh, another reason just to love this woman. Yeah, she's yeah. a shooter. She's a shooter out on the out in the rifle range. That's great. That's really great. That's it's really yeah. That's good. That's very good. All right, we are done for the week. Uh, have a great week ahead, and Major League Baseball uh, kicks off this week with uh, spring training starting. Yes, right. it does. We'll see what happens with the Orioles and how they put that team together. Nationals should be in pretty good shape going forward. We're going to cover the Orioles no matter what. Yeah. And you'll be covering both the Orioles and the Nationals no matter what. For uh, Craig Heist and Brittany Everett, I'm Stan the Fan. Enjoy your sports weekend ahead.